Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day just to be alive, uh, being able to breathe and see and hear your word. We are eternally grateful for life itself and grateful for the gift of eternal life you've given us by grace through faith in your precious Son. Father, help us to not take these things for granted. Help us to remember the privilege and opportunity you've given us to serve you, the master and creator of the universe, and also our savior forever and ever. Father, we ask that you bless this message and guide this message through your Holy Spirit. Help us hear the personal message you have for us tonight, which you planned for us from eternity past by your grace. And we ask these things, Father, in the name of our precious Lord, God and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it's by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, as we continue our series on the undistracted devotion to the Lord, one thing is clear as of late, and that is that the Spirit is not putting us down for our disobedience. Uh, that's how I personally see it anyway. Most of you who are faithfully listening to the lessons from this pulpit are on the right track. You're sitting at the feet of Jesus, so to speak, on a regular basis. Namely, He who is the Word of God. You're sitting at His feet on a regular basis. So, as we've been getting the last few lessons, it's just that God is asking us to excel still more, as we've seen. And that should be really encouraging to us as we're always, you know, not always, but often pressed in this ministry, pressed forward by the Spirit, um, challenged with certain things. We should take courage with this recent, you know, emphasis about excelling still more, which means we're on the right track. Your Heavenly Father is saying, you're going in the right direction, but I have a few more good things for you to pursue. Think about it that way. What, what father doesn't want his, the best for his kids? So God is saying to us, you're going in the right direction, son, but I have a few more good things for you to pursue. I want you to get all out of life. I want you to maximize it. I want you to have no regrets when you see me face to face. And you're going to thank me for it later, God might say. So keep running the race, is what he's telling us. And that should be very encouraging. That, that's a uh, you know, confidence booster from God. So what this takes is living in or living out our salvation proper. That's been the emphasis. For example, on the board... Positional sanctification is hardly the end goal of sanctification itself. Arguably, it's just the beginning. God gave us a brand new life. And what is life meant to, uh, what's meant to be done with life? It's meant to be lived, right? So God's not going to give us a new life and say, you know, you don't have to do anything with it. The whole purpose of new life is to do something with it. So have that perspective as on the board here. And even though we tend to think in our 
human minds and, and maybe sometimes getting caught up in theology too much, we tend to think about sanctification in three phases. But from God's perspective, as we've been seeing, it's a single plan. And God is challenging us right now to see it that way, to see it His way, to step back and see it as, as one instead of something uh, divided up or chopped up. On the board, this came out on Sunday. We have to learn to think about salvation and sanctification as one whole unified plan, the plan of God. He doesn't just give life to not be lived out. It's all one big grand thing that he has for us. And that takes, from our point of view, stepping back and looking at things from the big picture, even as from above. You know, I have it in my notes a little bit later, but I'll just mention it now. You know, um, many of you know, you can go on the computer and go to Google Earth, and you can search a, a particular location and get a bird's eye view, right, from the satellite. And you can zoom in and all that great stuff. But what do you get there? See, we're in this little church right now, for example, right? All we see are these four walls. But when we look at things from above, we see where we fit in. This little place, we don't see what's going on outside, but we see where we fit in in the big picture. You see the whole thing as a whole, okay? The God's plan as a whole, if you will. Just an analogy. But that's how God wants us to look at life and his plan from that big picture perspective so that we don't lose sight of the whole and his purpose, which is easy to do sometimes, especially as we get religious. So turn in your Bibles to Colossians 3.1 to start this evening. Colossians 3.1. Again, on the board, we have to learn to think about salvation and sanctification as one whole unified plan. And this takes a big picture view to see it. Colossians 3, 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. Have you ever looked up into the sky or let's say even maybe at night, could be either, I guess, into the clouds and looked up and just imagine for a second what it looks like to see Jesus sitting at the right hand of God the Father and that you might see that one day visibly or he's going to come back in the clouds for the rapture and you will see him visibly in the sky. And God wants us to take that perspective as real as it's going to be one day and see it now. And so we got to obey verses like this. Keep seeking the things above. Stop being so earthly-minded that we lose sight of the big picture. And it's to our own detriment and suffering, even, when we do that. And that includes the big picture on sanctification. How does God see this, this thing called sanctification? Arguably, he sees it as a whole. Not H-O-L-E, W-H-O-L-E. Okay? He sees it as one whole, one whole plan. We are limited to time. 
and God gives us certain constructs to help us. But God is not limited to time. He sees the whole picture always. And he's asking us by faith to see it his way. He's asking us to have the humility to ask him for help to see it his way. Remember, he's not going to disclose himself to anyone that doesn't want it or want him. So God is not limited to time. He sees the whole picture all the time. So on the board, we are saved daily. Sanctification is something active. Remember that the word of God is living and active in Hebrews 4.12. It is the key ingredient the Spirit of Christ uses to set us apart for God's purposes. Also known as to sanctify us or to make us holy. The word of God is the key ingredient to sanctify us and it is living and active. So at this point, the topic of gratitude came up on Sunday, which just came up before service and in our opening prayer. Um, Paula, do you have a drink there? Yeah. Okay. Do you want some water? Yeah. Sean, can you get us some water or something? <coughs> Thank you. <clears throat> that darn bronchitis. <coughs> Poor Paula battles a chronic bronchitis, if you didn't know. Uh, All right, so gratitude came up uh, for everything, for even our health that we do have, for example. But it came up at the beginning of this lesson as well, so we don't take for granted the things that God has done for us. For example, how do we, and look at the board, how do we not enjoy his gift of salvation every day? How do we not enjoy his gift of salvation every day? How, how do we do that? How do we get to that point? How do we um, forget to a point where we don't enjoy the gift of eternal life every day? It shows you the weakness of our flesh, right? Because we all do it. What's missing is gratitude. That's what's missing. It's that simple. If we're not enjoying his gift of salvation every day we wake up, we are not grateful. Not where we should be. Not all the time, for sure, right? That's the simple ingredient that's missing. But what's the ingredient to sanctify us? What's the ingredient to uh, get us to be grateful all the time? It's the Word of God. So those of you that are here now or listening on the Internet and you're submitting to the Word of God, You're doing the right thing, right? God can use that to sanctify us, to set us apart for his purposes, maybe even to make us grateful all the time. And guess what? A grateful person is a happy person. We want happiness and we chase all these things and ideas for happiness. Learn how to be grateful through the word of God. Learn how to be grateful all the time and you're going to be happy all the time because you always have God's blessings in your vision. You're not forgetting So on the board, how can we put aside the fact that our best friend died for us and saved us from God's righteous judgment? How do we do that? And I say put aside in quotes because I'm thinking of familiarity. 
When we become familiar, that's exactly what we do. We forget. How do we do that? In light of the fact that our best friend died for us and saved us from God's righteous judgment, God would have been right to judge us, right? But he saved us. What's missing is gratitude. Embracing the truth on the board is where we receive the energy to leap out of bed each morning. Embracing the truth on the board is where we receive the energy to leap out of bed each morning. And I don't mean you literally have to jump out of bed, but we're talking about a mental state, right? A state of eagerness or excitement for the day because you love your best friend, you're grateful to your best friend, you're motivated to leap out of bed for him and to live for him each day because you don't forget who he is and what he did. And we all fail, we all have bad days, but it would behoove us to recognize what's missing. If we're not getting out of bed with um, some kind of, at least purpose, some kind of energy about another day to be alive for him, if we're not getting out of bed that way, we're missing something. It would, we'd be smart to at least recognize what's missing, and that is Jesus as our first love. That's what's missing. Gratitude for him. If we had that, if we had, if we had Jesus as our first love in our hearts all the time, we would have no trouble ever getting out of bed. Maybe physically, right? With the knees and the joints, but I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about up here. Wanting to roll over and stay in bed all the time. You know? Wanting to <laughs> keep hitting the snooze. Why? Why do we want to keep hitting the snooze? It's one thing if you didn't sleep all night. It's another thing if you don't want to get out of bed because you don't have any motivation. What should our motivation be? Our best friend. And that he let us live another day. So if we had love for Christ or had him as our first love in our hearts, we would be eager to serve him for another day while on earth. And we would look at it as such a great opportunity. If you think about it, that's the right perspective. And God's slowly been working on me with this too, like looking at it, getting out of bed as an opportunity. I'm alive another day. This isn't like due to me. This isn't guaranteed by any means. Oh, here we go. Another chance to bring you glory, Lord. Maximize my time. Somehow, some way. Make my, you know, my thoughts correct in the first place about you and love as motivation. So regarding being saved daily, as we realize the day of our salvation was just the beginning of a new ongoing relationship with Christ, we realize sanctification is meant to make us stronger and more filled with his love every day. Sanctification is meant to make us stronger and more filled with his love every day we wake up. Even as we struggle in this flesh, God's more powerful than our flesh. If we, if we just get out of the way and let him work in us, his, his goal, his objective is to make us stronger every day and fill us with his love more and more. Are we willing? 
on the board. We are saved daily. We saw this on Sunday also. Sanctification is something active. Remember that the Word of God is living and active. This is a repeat point. It's the key ingredient the Spirit of Christ uses to set us apart for God's purposes, make us holy, and sanctify us. When we're faced with distractions and temptations against God setting us apart for Himself, what do we look to for deliverance? What do we look to for deliverance? What well do we draw water from? What do you look to? Your own well? Your own solutions? The only viable answer for believers to get through life with peace and joy is the Word of God. And without the Word, one has no well to drink from that's going to satisfy, no bread to eat, that's going to sustain during trials. Supernaturally. Sustain during trials. Go to Hebrews 4.12 in your Bibles. Hebrews 4.12. Let's just take a look at this verse as a whole, and a couple things are going to be discussed tonight. Hebrews 4.12. For the Word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. Notice it's the Word of God, and notice it is living and active, doing things like piercing, and it's able to judge. The Word of God doesn't sit there on the bench eating all day. He's not a judge that's um, lazy or rests on his laurels. He's the perfect judge that is living and active for our benefit, even piercing when he needs to, and able to judge even our thoughts and intentions. That's the activity going on in our sanctification. And the Spirit is a master of this sword, which is the Word of God. You know, there are Christians out there that, um, I've met some that, you know, they're believers. You can have a conversation with them. You can tell they have their own relationship with Christ, which is wonderful to see when you see it. But they don't go to any church. They don't read the Bible. They don't, um, even if they go to a church, maybe they don't go to a Bible teaching church. So they're missing something, right? They're missing the um, sword that the Spirit is wanting to use in their life. But when you submit to the Word, it is living and active in your life through the Spirit wielding it. He's the greatest swordsman ever. The best wielder of the sword, if you will, that you've ever seen. And if you need to, picture it. Picture an expert swordsman. His speed and precision. Never missing the target. I think of like Zorro and you know the movies or whatever, right? And he's so fast and quick with that sword. And what does he do? He's so precise, he'll cut off a guy's button off his shirt, right? Without cutting his opponent, unless he wants to. The Holy Spirit is that way, that precise, with the sword of the Word of God in your soul. What more like, could we ask for? Don't we want that? 
don't you want someone who um, is that accurate, let's say, and therefore that gentle when gentleness is needed, and that precise when cutting is needed? Think of the accuracy and precision of a good surgeon for whom we should all be praying for Kathy's upcoming surgery, by the way. But think of the accuracy and precision of a good surgeon. A good surgeon wields his scalpel so that he can cut on the finest of lines, a cut thinner than a paper cut, and in exactly the right spot with exactly the right amount of pressure. How much more do you think the perfect spirit of Christ is able to do that with his perfect word in us? And so the word is called the sword of the spirit. So by grace on the board, the spirit uses the sword, which is the word of God, to cut us precisely in all the right places and with perfect timing in our lives. And we are grateful for the healing it brings. Hebrews 4.12 and Ephesians 6.17, for example. We'll get more into this later on, but the eternal surgeon who has perfect love for us is working on us from the inside out for our good. The swordsman. Perfect. Loving. Precise. Again, on the board, by grace, the Spirit uses the sword, which is the Word of God, to cut us precisely in all the right places and with perfect timing in our lives. And we are grateful for the healing it brings. If you're not grateful for the healing it brings, maybe you should be. Maybe you should be grateful for the cuts that are needed to bring on healing or to cut out cancer in your heart even, in your soul. Maybe we should be grateful for the things he's doing, even though they're painful at times, because they're perfectly good. So the Spirit uses the Word, which is living and active, to sanctify us, actively setting us apart for Christ in this life. Actively setting us apart for Christ in this life, one day at a time, by grace, in his amazing gentleness, he's actively setting us apart for Christ in this life so that we don't have any regrets when we see him. It could be any day now, right? It could be any day, whether by death or by rapture. It could be any day for any one of us. On Sunday, we also considered what Hebrews 4.12 does not say about sanctification here, being sanctified. It does not say we'll be sanctified by being a good person in our own energies of the flesh. It does not say we'll be sanctified by romantic love. In other words, by getting caught up in that, which becomes a distraction from Jesus as your first love. It doesn't say we'll be sanctified by worldly success. For example, Jesus said man cannot serve both God and money. Cannot. That takes us away from being sanctified 
and their religiosity, focusing on the outward appearance like the Pharisees did, not on doing things from a changed heart by faith. On Sunday, we went to a passage that clearly revealed what will sanctify us from the words of our Lord. So turn again to John 17, 12. John 17, 12. Jesus said, While I was with them, I was keeping them in your name, which you have given me. And I guarded them, and not one of them perished, but the son of perdition, so that the scripture would be fulfilled. But now I come to you, and these things I speak in the world, so that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word. Notice that. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them, because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. Notice here in verse 14, we are either of the word or we're of the world. Not both. It's impossible. You can have all the word of God in your soul you want, but if you're living like you're of the world, you're not living in the word, are you? They're mutually exclusive. So Jesus says in verse 14, I'm gi- I have given them your word. In verse 15, I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. So here again we see the word of God is the key ingredient to our sanctification. Jesus said it straight out in his prayer to the Father. And as we saw on Sunday... Even though we're in the devil's world, God has provided the word of God as our armor to fight the good fight of faith and to be set apart for him. So turn in your Bibles to Ephesians 6.13. If you want, you can hold your place there in John 17. Ephesians 6.13. We can't underestimate the value of the word, the, the necessity of the word. As your very food, as your very sustenance and as the sword of the Spirit in your life. Just imagine not giving the Spirit His sword in your life. Um, by your own you know, choice, He's not going to do certain things for you because you resist or refuse the Word of God. Ephesians 6.13 Therefore, take up the full armor of God so that you will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. So we're told to take up the full armor of God. This chapter also tells us about the sword again. Look at verse 17, Ephesians six seventeen, And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is... The word of God. We can see again, we're told to take up these things. So our free will is involved. We still have to willingly 
take in the Word of God. Sit at the feet of Jesus. Willingly do that. Willingly eat His bread. And then the Spirit does all the work within us to set us apart for His glory. But our free will is still in play. He's not going to force us to take up the Word of God, to take up uh, the full armor of God. He's encouraging us to. And He's saying, don't you understand this is the weapon that I can use in your life for your good, to protect you, to make you stronger, to, to make you divinely good? This is the weapon. This is the tool. And if you submit to it, I'll do all the work. So again, let's go to Jesus' prayer in John 17, 17. I guess I was too late on that holding your page comment, huh? John 17, 17. Jesus said, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself, that they themselves also may be sanctified in truth. We can't be sanctified without the truth, without possessing the truth. It's the truth of the word that actively sets us apart for God. Every day, being saved daily. It's the truth of the word that actively sets us apart for God. On Sunday, the Spirit asked us to consider how the following statement is true on the board. In 2 Peter 2.9, Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. How does God rescue the godly from temptation? How does He do it? What does He use? Well, as you should know by now, it's the Word of God. It's the sword of the Spirit. Just as Jesus used the word to be rescued from his temptations in Matthew chapter 4. The Spirit actively helps us use the word of God in our souls. Some of you are like, yeah, but I can't remember it. Some of you put yourselves down and think that it's about you and your ability. Maybe it's actually a good thing that you can't remember it on your own. Maybe that will help you rely on the Spirit to bring it to your remembrance when you need it. Isn't that how it's supposed to work? God's not asking us to memorize the Bible in our own strength and uh, recite it, just like Satan can recite it. He's asking us to get the heck out of the way and rely on the Spirit to wield the sword of the Word of God in us. It's a supernatural thing. And maybe, 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 just maybe, it's better that you can't remember it. You can't remember what was taught tonight, two hours later. You can't remember what you read yesterday in your Bible. Maybe it's better. Maybe you took it in and the Spirit's doing His thing and He's going to wield that sword when you need it. Will you trust Him to wield that sword when you need it? Or are you going to try to wield it yourself? Doesn't the Bible say in John 14, 26, that he will bring it to our remembrance at the proper time. That's how he rescues the godly from temptation. 
when you're faced with the temptation today, tomorrow, the next day? You can't defeat it on your own, right? You know that by now, right? But maybe if we ask for help and say, Lord, what, what, what do I apply in this situation? What, do, what should I be thinking here? Give me something. And all of a sudden you think of a certain verse or a certain concept, a certain phrase Jesus used in his prayer maybe. And you're like, ah. That's how you defeat temptation. It's of God. And maybe that's one reason Jesus said the truth will make us free. Think of the freedom from bondage and the temptations of sins that we get from the truth. He uses the word. And this includes the temptation to fear and to be controlled by the pressures of this world. That's one of many temptations. But let's turn in our Bibles to Psalm 4, verse 1, to see a little bit about this temptation that only the Word can deliver us from. Thus the importance of submitting to His Word every day so the Spirit has something to use in our difficult moments. Psalm 4, verse 1. Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have relieved me in my distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. O sons of men, how long will my honor become a reproach? How long will you love what is worthless and aim at deception? Salah. But know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. How do we know this? How do we know what we just read? Because we just read it. Where did you read it? In the Word of God, right? How do we know these types of wonderful truths and promises? The Word of God. You don't read it, you don't have it. You don't read it, the Spirit can't use it. But look what the psalmist said in verse 3 again. But know that the Lord, you see, he was confident. He knew the word of God. Know that the Lord has set apart the godly man for himself. The Lord hears when I call to him. Tremble and do not sin. Meditate in your heart upon your bed and be still. Salah. Offer the sacrifices of righteousness and trust in the Lord. Many are saying, who will show us any good? Lift up the light of your countenance upon us, O Lord. You have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. That should sound familiar. You have put gladness in my heart more than when their grain and new wine abound. From Pastor's recent blog, the kingdom of God is more than eating and drinking. It's righteousness and joy and peace. Again, verse 7, You, God, have put gladness in my heart, more than when their grain and new wine abound. In peace 
I will both lie down and sleep. For you alone, O Lord, make me to dwell in safety. Notice it's the very word of God that tells you these truths about the Lord. And that allows us to live free from the temptations of fear and worry. Like the psalmist. The power is in the word. And that's the sword the spirit wields in our souls. And this is part of God working on our behalf to sanctify us. This is the key ingredient. Thank God it's this simple. Some of you are like, I already know. I know this. I've heard this before. The last three lessons. We should be rejoiced that it is this simple of a focus. On the board again, sanctification is a daily effort made by the one who saved us in the first place. He is the word. We have the word. The word is truth, that which sanctifies us. So simple and pure. And Satan does not want us to understand these things. Satan wants you to say, I already know this. Can we move on? You and I need to um, see more and more how much we need to submit to the Word. Because if we don't, if we don't see it for the level of importance that it is, we're going to get duped eventually as not needing it so much or already knowing that, becoming familiar with that, falling into that trap, that Satan in the kingdom of darkness, that that's what, that's what they have for us, like lying in wait, okay? It's like a trap in the back of the church on the way that they step your foot into as soon as you leave the door, closes on your leg. Satan's, that, that's one of his key traps, familiarity. Let, let's play to their arrogance. They already know this. I already know this. The minute we stop realizing how much we have to master it or submit to his word, he's going to pull us away from the faith. And Satan knows what will sanctify us. He knows the word is the key ingredient. So we see what the Lord is saving us from even daily. And that is the schemes of the devil. How many of us underestimate the schemes of the devil? How many do you think? All? How many of us underestimate the schemes of the devil? How many of us in our daily walk, going through life, right? We hope the day's a good day, you know, we hope there's not many problems. How many of us actively think about attacks that are going to come. Not even when they come. Sometimes they're pretty easy to recognize, right? But how, how about thinking about the things that the devil is scheming? Not getting paranoid, but just saying, you know what, there is a spiritual battle going on, and, and he uses very subtle things, doesn't he? To pull us away from the truth? To make you think you're all set? Get you involved in romantic love, so you think that's going to whatever, somehow solve your problems. <laughs> How many of us underestimate the schemes of the devil? 
How many of us choose to be naive of his schemes and the invisible attacks that are going on around us or at us? And this has been the message lately. It's the Lord's daily effort that rescues us. Think about that. It's the Lord's daily effort on our behalf that rescues us, even when we are naive to the attacks of the kingdom of darkness. Isn't that cool? Think about it. The Lord is actively rescuing us from deceptions, from lies, from traps, even when we're not even aware that they're, they're existing or we see something we think is good and it's really evil, even when we're being deceived, he's rescuing us actively by grace. Even when we've been fooled and we don't or we refuse to see the behind-the-scenes realities of a situation, he's working on our behalf. That's what it means to be saved daily, to be preserved by God even, even when you're about to walk off a cliff. I'll go into the thicket bush, right? Did you see some stupid little toy in the bush? Even when we're in that state of whatever you want to call that, stupidity, he's preserving us. He's working on our behalf. How many times have you been saved from something that you shouldn't have, you know, you weren't even aware of? And then late you look back on it and you say, wow, he just <laughs> rescued me out of that thing that I basically stepped into. So on the board, we are saved daily. Our Lord and His Spirit intercede for us. Luke twenty two thirty two, Romans 8, 26 and 27. Why? It's an interesting question. Why does He intercede for us? Apparently we need it. Apparently that's what's required so that we're never lost again. Apparently we need Him to keep us saved or to avoid being completely overcome where our faith suffers a fatal blow, where we quote-unquote give up. We need him to be doing this thing on our behalf all the time, and he knows that, so he does it out of love. This is why the Bible says true believers will persevere, because our faith is held up by the Lord. Our faith your faith, my faith, is held up by the Lord. Do you ever think about your faith as being that dependent? Because it really is, isn't it? Because the Bible says even our faith is from God, right? It's a gift from God. It's not even your own. So he is our guarantor, as came out on Sunday. And we saw this activity by the Lord on behalf of Peter on the board in Luke 22, 31 and 32, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan has demanded permission to sift you like wheat. But I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And you, when once you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. I have prayed for you, Jesus said. Talk about encouraging. I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. Even though there's a potential for failure mentioned here, what should stand out is there is prayer from the perfect one that will save the day, that will rescue us. Prayer from the perfect one. He even upholds our very faith from being destroyed utterly, squashed, extinguished. 
Peter's faith was imperfect. He did fail at times, just like we all will. But his faith was never totally extinguished. He turned again. He came back around. And it's the spirit of Jesus that helped him do that after his horrible failure. And so he'll do that for all of his sheep. Oni? Does, does God play favorites? If there's one thing we know in this church over the last 10 years, God doesn't play favorites. So if he did it for Peter, won't he do it for you? Do you have that kind of trust that God will uphold you like that, even when you turn your back on him for a while, like Peter did? That's how much our, our perseverance and our faith and our eternal life is in his hands, ultimately. And that's the kind of trust we should have. Better in his hands than our hands, right? So on the board, believers always eventually turn back again. A believer's faith will never be completely extinguished because it is of God. Very simple reason. It is of God. The faith that you have is from God. So it will never be completely extinguished. Because he's right there holding it up. If it helps, think about a flame. The flame of God's love in the believer will never completely go out because he won't allow it to. He won't allow it to. That's what he says. That's what he promises. The spirit of Christ within the believer will not let the flame of faith, if you will, go out. Not completely. He won't let it happen. Despite the harsh winds from the flesh and the devil trying to blow it out. I mean, I, I was picturing God's hand, okay? If you want to just picture his hand. Big, strong, all-powerful. And no matter how much Satan tries to blow out your faith completely and extinguish it, his hand is cupping your faith to avoid even the strongest of winds from extinguishing it. Satan's got a ton of power. God has all power. You do the math, right? Finite versus infinite. So if God says he's going to uphold you, he's going to uphold you. If Jesus says, I'll never let you go, he's not going to let you go. So in perfect faithfulness, the Lord refuses to let our faith extinguish. Turn again to Romans 8, 26. Romans 8, 26. In his perfect faithfulness, the Lord refuses to let it go out. That being your faith. And so is the active work of his spirit in our lives. Romans 8, 26. In the same way, the spirit also helps our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we should. On that note, whether it's willful or, or not, it's still ignorance. It's still us not knowing how to pray as we should. So God steps in. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is 
because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. What a provision from the Lord that we take for granted. What a provision that he intercedes and he fills in the gaps, as Pastor talked about on Sunday, when we don't know the right things to say. And we don't even ask for God's will to be done. And the Spirit says, this is what he really meant. He literally steps in on our behalf and says, Father, Father, wait, wait, wait. Can, can I pray for them? He's like, yeah, go ahead. Okay. Can you do this for them? Yes. Sounds good. Perfect, according to my will. That's what's going on even when we're off in la-la land. Hopefully not for too long. But even when we're not praying as we should, that's what's going on. How awesome is that to rely on? Have you ever tried to pray and you didn't know what to say? How about not saying anything? How about not trying to put words together and just sit there and, and let the Spirit work for you? I don't even know how to say this, but why not? We know God's not impressed by many words. So, like, it's a spiritual, supernatural phenomenon that God is actively saving us daily, supporting us daily, sanctifying us. And all it takes is our willingness, our humility, our submission, right? To the Word and the Spirit. And we have supernatural power getting it done. As Pastor said on Sunday, he intercedes for us because he refuses to lose us. Again, the slide on the board. Our Lord and his spirit intercede for us. Why? Apparently that is what is required so that we are never lost again or even completely overcome where our faith suffers a fatal blow. This is a very important, encouraging truth in the word of God. And it prevents us from looking at our salvation as being in the past. Almost as though his salvation would have no good effects in our lives. It's a deception for people to think of it almost as temporary. Almost. They won't say that's how they think of it. But it's so planted in the past in their mind that there's no effects. And that's why the person that says they were saved as a youth but has no faith now and totally lives for themselves is probably not saved because that's not how the Bible describes a saved person. A true believer cannot totally leave the faith because, very simply, Jesus won't let them. He won't let them. He's the perfect shepherd on the board. This came out on Sunday, too. Jesus is a perfect shepherd. And a perfect shepherd never loses one of his sheep. John 18, 9. Of those whom you have given me, I lost not one. Tonight has been largely about relying on God's power, God's part in our sanctification. Through the Word and the Spirit, it's, it's relying on Him and seeing the fact that He promises to do this thing in us. 
He's trying to get us to stop relying on ourselves. So on the board is a neat perspective to grab hold of. He's the perfect shepherd. And that's your shepherd. Know that he will never let you go, just like he never let Peter go. From a human perspective, he should have let Peter go. If you're God, don't you have the right to say someone that denies me three times? But that's not Jesus. That's not the Lord. I'm never letting you go. I know some of the horrible things you're going to do and say and think. I'm never letting you go. That's what we're relying on. That This is our sanctification we're talking about right now. On the board, this came out on Sunday. As we begin to close, we must always observe always throughout Scripture that Jesus had and still has a very active role in our salvation, not just in his gospel call, but also in our being saved daily. He has a very active role. So the Spirit's been asking us to take hold of another perspective on the board. Faith is an activity, not just a forensic fact. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once. It's alive, just like the Word of God is alive. Faith is actively upheld, not just established once. Being given saving or delivering faith is more like a starting point than an end point. This is a perspective issue on our own souls that we got to throw out the garbage in our soul from maybe the past or a misconception about saving faith even. You know, we got to look at it from God, look at it from above, look at it from God's point of view, big picture. It's really a starting point, not an end point. There's a life to live. A new life has been given. And think about this as we close. Our perseverance as believers doesn't even depend upon us, but upon Him. And this is something that has set me free personally because with a lot of the convicting messages the last few years, I was crossing over that line, looking at perseverance the wrong way as even something of myself that I had to do. But if biblically we look at it, our perseverance as believers does not depend on us. It depends on Him. That's how faithful He is to us despite ourselves. Even faith is a gift from God. And he upholds that very same faith. So I guess we'll close on that note. I didn't get anywhere this evening, but so be it. Just realize as we close that God is calling us to live out our salvation as a reality in our daily lives. He's given us this privilege to live as a born-again creature, we're, we're, we're in his ecosystem now, as Pastor mentioned on Sunday. He's like, live it out. There's a whole ecosystem. There's a whole inter- interdependency going on. There's life coming and going in your life that I've given to supply you and to let you live in peace and joy and be fulfilled. But don't take any of this for granted. Don't get familiar with this. This is like totally privilege. Totally privilege to be able to just even have a chance to live for him at all. 
You know, it's a privilege even not to be judged. Forget to be able to live for him and bring him glory. And it's all on his mighty shoulders, thank God. Amen? All right, let's bow our heads. Father, we thank you so much for your word, your grace, your power in upholding us, even providing the faith to walk every day. And Father, we ask that you give us more love and gratitude for your son so it motivates us every day to get out of bed with purpose and energy and eagerness because we have our purpose and we know our purpose and our purpose is in you. And we ask that you help us live in this new creature. Help us submit to your word so the spirit can use it and wield it in our souls mightily, not by our own power, but by him bringing it to our remembrance. Father, we ask that you bless us all as we go, and we ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen.